Welcome to the Old Chick Snowship Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Old Chicks No Ship podcast. Today, we are going to be doing the second in a series about managing aging parents and being a caregiver for aging parents. And the reason why I'm doing two episodes on this is because it's such an important topic that I hear from, like, it's part of my life for sure. And I hear it from so many of, you know, my friends and peers and other women, you know, that are in my community. So I think this is something that we want to talk about a lot more. And today we're going to talk about it from a slightly different perspective in that, you know, we often talk about the physical toll of, you know, having to you know, give more time and attention to your aging parents. But sometimes what we don't talk enough about is the emotional toll that can sometimes show up as like resentment or guilt or whole pile of other things. So with me today, I have Risa Eisen, who is a social worker, a mediator, and a therapist. And over her 40-year career, she has developed a passion for understanding conflict and its impact on relationships. So relationship with yourself, but also significant relationships in your life. So Risa and I, a couple of weeks ago, had a great conversation about this that I was like, okay, we have to share this conversation. So welcome, Risa. I am so happy that you could join us. Thank you. And it's so great to be here and continue the conversation because you know, we, it was such a rich conversation and I totally jumped on board when you said, let's do a podcast about <laughs> this. So it's, it's fantastic. So I'm so happy to be invited. Thank you. Yeah. So tell us a little bit well, about what you do, like how you do what you do, and then also about your own experience um, in, you know, men or dealing with an aging parent and kind of the impact that had on you. It, that's great because the experience with my mother, which I'll talk about in a minute, really informed how my career has unfolded. As you said, I've always been interested in conflict and, you know, the old saying is conflict an opportunity or an obstacle. And I have tried to really think about, so what is the opportunity when people are in conflict? So I've worked with kids and their parents. I've worked with separating couples. I've worked with organizations where there's employee conflict. And you know, so so to really see what is it that can unhook the people who are in the conflict so that their relationships can go forward for sure in a more constructive way, but also in a more harmonious way. And later on in my career, about 20 years ago, I started to get really interested in how people were aging and what was coming through my door were all kinds of referrals about families who were in conflict about that, about a parent who was aging. And Around the same time, I had this kind of really amazing experience with my mother, who was known to all my friends and and in the family as a pretty tough broad. I mean, this was a woman who had opinions galore, judgments galore, and I was the fourth child, the only girl. And so she and I 
needless to say, didn't have the smoothest relationship. And all of those kinds of girl things that I was looking to her for really didn't materialize. So it became kind of, you know, oh, Risa was talking to her mother and she was all nervous and she was all, you know, bent out of shape about what was going to happen. <laughs> and so one day, and what would happen in the conversation with my mom was her famous, um, when she was displeased, she'd say, oh, Risa. And oh, Risa became for me the trigger to send me into two weeks of depression <laughs> because, mm -hmm. you know, I knew that we hadn't worked something out. I was kind of left holding the bag and, and really unhappy about it, really feeling very stressed and unhappy. And because I also, you know, then there would be the next encounter and the next encounter. So uh, one day uh, we had a conversation and it ended with, oh, Risa. <laughs> and I hung up the phone and started to feel really bad. And then for some reason, Jennifer, I had to call her back. So I kind of screwed up my courage. I had to ask her something. I'm not sure. And I called her back and I said, hi, mom. And she went, oh, hi, Risa. How are you? And I went, like, we just had a conversation in my mind. I said, we just had a conversation where she was really unhappy and now she's saying, oh, how are you? Like, what's going on? <laughs> As if that previous conversation had never happened. And the penny dropped. And at that moment, I thought, wow, I've been holding on to this for years, you know, every encounter kind of thing. And it's over for her. You know, she, right. she, we had the experience and then she went on. And I thought, isn't that interesting how that hook for me was really affecting my life, but it had no effect on her life. You know, she was going on, and the next encounter would be talking to me about yeah. whatever. Yeah, and that's so interesting because when we are dealing with an aging parent who is requiring more time and attention, like as you know, we were talking about at the beginning, it's not just the physical part of it, it's the emotional part of it and all the history, like the years and years of history that you have with that parent that comes to the forefront. And I know in my own example, um, you know, there was a situation not that long ago where my father called me and he needed help. And I had this like, like out of the blue nowhere, this massive amount of resentment come up. Mm -hmm. And then following the resentment, like, like, first of all, very surprised by it, but following the resentment, feeling hugely guilty because mm -hmm. I was like, oh my goodness, your father needs your help. Why? Like, you should just be going to do this. Why are you feeling all of these things? Right. And kind of beating mm -hmm. myself up a little bit about it. But mm -hmm. I think what you just mentioned is like all of these little hooks and trigger points along the way that we have with our parents mm -hmm. that when the roles start to shift a little bit or we have to now give of ourselves a little bit more or engage in a different type of relationship these things can flare up out of nowhere absolutely absolutely and and i was finding that more and more than working with women who were in the role of looking out like you're talking about with your dad yeah um, so i was hearing more and more emotional distress you know people people were managing the practicalities sometimes not that well and they needed help you know getting getting a team around them to look after the practicalities but the emotional distress so literally Jennifer I would speak to somebody a woman let's say an adult child looking after an aging parent as well as looking after her own family and her own yeah. career or you know what her friendships whatever and I'd say like how are you doing and they would burst into tears 
it was that kind of sadness, that kind of, you know, underlying in the shadows, really f- deep feeling about, you know, their own distress and dealing with an aging parent, you know, it, it's the hooks for sure. But it also raises all those things that every time you're dealing with your aging parent, you're dealing with aging, you're dealing with loss, you're dealing with, mm-hmm. you know, they're in the later stages, not in the mid stages. And that creates a lot of emotion for us, obviously. And so it really occurred to me that the women in this situation who, you know, we know take on 90% of the yes, caretaking, sure. but they're not just taking on the practical, they're taking on a big emotional piece as well. And everybody kind of expects women to just incorporate that, yeah. you know, to take that on because that's part of the job. That's part of the role. And yet for so many of us in that situation, it weighs pretty heavily. Yeah. Well, I mean, too, you're at a stage of life where, you know, when this is happening, usually, you know, you're kind of entering your 50s or in your 50s, you know, when this starts to become a reality in your life. So not only, you know, there's all of the physical changes that are happening to you, like menopause and all of that. Plus, you know, you might be an empty nester, maybe your relationship's changing, like you're, and then, you know, you add this other piece to it. And it's just like, and as women are so apt to do, we take it all on without asking for help. So we're carrying this massive weight, like the massive, this massive weight of yes, the physical part, but all the emotions of all of this. And we're trying to figure out what's next for, you know, our next chapter. Like, what do we want from our lives in the middle of all of this? Right. Which again, as women are so apt to do, it falls to the very, very bottom of the list. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're just kind of left holding this big soup of emotion (laughs) and then beating ourselves up for not knowing what to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. And for feeling resentful, as you said, yeah. or for feeling angry, these are all such natural emotions. Just when you look at the issue that you're dealing with, I mean, watching your parents get older is very taxing emotionally mm-hmm. and, and people can feel angry and they can feel, you know, they're not getting the right treatment or they can feel, you know, that something's not good for them. Uh, and so that, you know, they feel very upset that, their parent is aging this way, or they feel like they can come in and fill those gaps. Lots of women feel like they have to be, you know, chief cook and bottle washer. Yeah. And and that's all on the, you know, kind of pragmatic level, because there's a lot of things that do need to be done. Mm -hmm. Uh, So women, I think, are especially spouses who are looking after their husbands who are having lots of mental health or health, physical issues of aging, they're of a generation where they just don't think it's even reasonable to ask for help. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to do it all. They're going to, and then an adult child might come in and say, you know what, mom, you, you know, you're going to have a stroke. And she says, no, no, no. It's because that cultural value of women being able to hold everything and be the nurturers. Yeah. um, is very strong still, even in 2020. <laughs> so even in 2020, I mean, we have like centuries and centuries of conditioning around women's value being in, in what they do for other people that, you know, I think slowly the paradigm is shifting, but we got, we got some work to do because we're, you know, codependent in a lot of ways, right? Like that's <laughs> how we see our own value. That's how we feel. Okay. Is knowing that everybody else around us is okay. And trust me, I'm a good, I'm good at that one, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but 
how do you counsel women then to start dealing with this, to start unpacking this? Because like I was saying, in my situation where I had this massive amount of like resentment come up before, like, okay, my brain hadn't even processed yet mm-hmm. what I needed to do. Like mm-hmm. I needed to go over to his house, but my brain hadn't even fully processed that when this like well of like resentment came up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I was kind of left there going like, what just like, what just happened? What and happened? I knew enough yeah. to kind of like step back and be like, okay, you know, like put that first side for a second, go do the thing you want to do. But then I journaled and journaled and journaled. And for mm-hmm. a big part of me, like big part of my life. My, my dad wasn't part of my life. Mm-hmm. And so there was this part of me that was like, okay, well, where were you when I needed you? And now you mm-hmm. want me to be there for you. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. surprised me in ways that I was just like, whoa, because on a conscious level, I never would ever think that it just wouldn't right. happen. Right. But there's obviously some part of me that is still dealing with whatever issue from childhood or whatever. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. how do you counsel women to un- start unpacking this so that they can navigate all of the things that they have to navigate in the physical world without mm-hmm. coming mm-hmm. unglued, basically? <laughs> well, you, you know, you just, you just said something, I think, you know, your resentment kind of came out of the emotional well, yeah. you know, that we've all, we've all got that emotional well. And then from time to time, you know, an emotion that just surprises us comes out. And I also think that we feel that we can't let it out of the well. So it's yeah. very striking when, when we have that reaction. But the reaction is really telling us something. You know, I think right. the reaction is really saying, hmm, you know, something just happened and I really need to pay attention to it. So the first thing I think women need to feel is permission. It's okay. Mm. It's really okay to feel all these yes. things. They're completely natural. And as you and I talked about before, one of my pet themes is, you know, for women, how do I care for the parent who didn't care for me? Yes. That was kind of my theme for my mom. And I discovered I really could. I really found ways, and getting back to your question, how do you do it? I really found a very interesting way to change the dance. You know, I think of, conflict is a choreography, you know, it's a a dance between people and one follows, one leads and one follows. And that's been going on for years, the way my mom was leading and I was following. So I think the first thing to do is, is to say, I have an emotional well, that, that has not been cut off now that I'm looking after, (laughs) now that I'm looking after my parent. Well, because most, most of us too are like trying to keep the lid on that well at all costs, right? Like <laughs> add another Absolutely. rock to the pile, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> add another rock to the pile. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, I think the other thing that women are desperate to do is to have a community of people who understand this because, you know, you can talk to your husband, you can talk, well, you probably don't don't want to reveal this kind of thing, but you can talk to other people. But if you're not in the situation and you're not really allowing yourself to dip into the well, the really the best thing to do is to make sure that you have company there. Mm, You're not alone. This is not a stranger, you know, a strange kind of thing. You're, You're not alone. There are probably, you know, 50 women in your vicinity who are kind of experiencing the same kind of thing. So that's one thing is to just, as you said, stop, you know, by the way, stopping in a crisis situation is a key survival skill. Mm, Interesting. 
stopping, just thinking, okay, I'm just going to stop for a minute and think about, like you did, think about, like, what was this all about? And then you got, you learned all kinds of things about it. And you and Mm -hmm. I talked about it, which was fabulous. I think the other thing that's really within our power, and, and I guess women have to be convinced of this in some way, it really is in our power to change the dance step. Because, you know, we wait and wait and wait and wait for other people to, quote unquote, meet our needs. Mm, so but true. waiting, being in a waiting position is a very vulnerable place. Yeah. Because you're always at the end of somebody else's whatever, you know, what somebody yeah. else's mood, somebody else's, you know, abilities. So I really like to help us all think about what could I do instead of waiting? Yeah. And so that's where I see their opportunities. This is not an obstacle. This is an opportunity. And so what I, what I did with my mom, I found really, really helpful, which is I kind of changed my approach to her from trying to get her to see me and what I was saying and being logical and being rational and saying, you know, mom, don't you get this? Like you should, you should see this, right? I see it. Why don't you see it? Rather understand and appreciate that the limitations on other people aren't going to necessarily change because you want them to change. Yeah. They're only going to change because they want them to change. And by the time our parents are in their 60s, 70s and 80s, that ship has sailed. Yeah. (laughs) They're not changing. Yeah. They're not changing. Yeah. And but then people say, but so if they don't change, how, how can I, you know, be better in the relationship? How can I get what I want? Well, the point is that you, you, yourself, and I can get what you want. I lived it and I experienced it because when I stopped trying to get something from my mom and instead I just kind of, I functioned beside her, not in front of her trying to, you know, bang it out of her. And I listened to her and I had fun with what she said. And I, because, so here's an example. And this is not, you know, people might be listening and going, oh, I could never do that. But in fact, you, you can, you can. Right. And, right. and it's something that is an opportunity to try on. But yeah. so she would say to me, you know, it was the Jewish holiday. And she'd say, well, Risa, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'll be around next year hook, you know, oh, mom, you will be, it's okay, you know, trying to appease her, and that never worked, so she said one year, oh, Risa, I don't think I'm going to be around next year, and I said, and you know what, mom, I'm really going to miss you, (laughs) (laughs) and she burst out laughing, (laughs) it was just a funny moment of, right, you know, just, you're ridiculous, or, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, that's the hook, that's the hook yeah. and, and makes me feel more duty bound and more. And, and I kind of, that was just one way of finding. So she had a really good sense of humor and that ended up being the way we communicated in the last right. stages of her life. Yeah. I mean, that's so interesting on so many levels because like the only thing we can control is ourselves. 
right? right. And changing our perspective on things like our perspective is what makes us happy or makes us miserable. <laughs> like it could be the same situation, but how we view that, you know, and a lot of like, in my own case, again, like a lot of healing with the relationship with my dad came when my daughter was little, you know, and she was like a two-year-old and I would some to see him get down on the floor and play with her in ways that he didn't play with me. Mm-hmm. And that, mm-hmm. as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, okay. Like parts of me literally healed in that process. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you mentioned something about, you know, when we've had a contentious relationship with a parent growing up, like it's abandonment or like worse abuse. And then we get to this place where, okay, now, you know, every part of us wants to help. It's our parent no matter, Mm -hmm. like, regardless, like you want to be able to do what you need to do to support your aging parent. But like, I can imagine that navigating the emotion that would stand in the way of that, especially when you didn't feel like you got what you needed when you were growing up Mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever else might've happened along the way, Mm -hmm. it could be really difficult to move yourself over that emotion. So you're either doing the thing that you need to do and suppressing the emotion, which is, Mm -hmm. we all know that that's like a mega energy drain, or Mm -hmm. you're not doing the thing that you think you should be doing and feeling guilty about it because you can't move yourself to do the thing because of the emotional piece. So it's kind of like this, I'm viewing it as almost like this mountain (laughs) that you, that you have to climb up and over. And as you're talking, I'm thinking in some cases, like shifting perspective might be really difficult. Yes. Yes. And you know, That's so true. That's a very extreme situation of hurt and, you know, deep, deep feelings of being abandoned and rejected and mistreated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, people often say, well, just forgive the person and and it'll all go away. And, you know, I I don't think that's easy to do. I don't think it's easy to forgive somebody. So, um, you know, I think one of the keys is to not think of it as the mountain you have to climb, but the mountain you go around. Right. And one of the things I think about as you're talking, Jennifer, is when we're hurt and and wounded, we often think that the resolution is with that person who hurt and wounded us. Mm. And I think that is a an exercise in futility. that you're probably not going to get the satisfaction from that person because they are, are who they are for whatever reasons. And, you know, you, you may be able to step back and even be a little compassionate about where they came from and why they ended up being Mm -hmm. who they are. But even if you can't, we spend a lot of time trying to get resolution with the person who hurt us. And, in those kinds of situations, I don't think that's usually very possible because it, because it is a huge mountain yeah. and you're on that mountain alone. So yeah. you're not with that person. So I think for people in that situation who do want to care and, and provide mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. their parents older and they're going to die and, you know, you, you don't want to be standing at gravesite with all kinds of regrets, right. that kind of thing, is you really need to find ways of meeting those needs away from that person. It's paradoxical, Mm. but you either can get into therapy or you can, you know, work it out with your friends who understand or, you know, people who, who would appreciate how forgiveness is probably not the first thing that's going to happen. 
Right. And, and forgetting is not going to happen. But, you know, one, one of the things that happens with women who are abused, in, in my experience, is when they decide to go into therapy, they feel like they have a partner mm-hmm. now in this and, and, a, and an important partner. And so what helped this one client of mine, because she was in a situation exactly like that, was really being able to talk about the abuse with her siblings. Mm -hmm. She had worried for years and years that, you know, they didn't know and she didn't want to bring them into the drama and all that kind of stuff. But as she began to understand it and be validated that this was really her experience and her mom's still alive, so she still encounters it all the time, what would help her? And she was trying to get the mom to see it and understand it and, and admit it. That's a, that's a right, big one. Right. right. You, you admit what you did to me and then I'll be fine, but it doesn't work that way. No. So when she started to talk more openly with her brother and sister, guess what? Her brother said, I've known all along. And then wow. they had a shared experience. Right. So she, she didn't feel so crazy. And the more now she talks about it, the better she's feeling. So yeah, it's a shift. It's a pivot from what you intellectually think is going to work. If only my, if I would say, if only my mother, if only your father could say, I really know that I hurt you. Ain't going to happen. Right. Right. So or maybe it does, but it's not like yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. It, certainly, uh, you know, I've seen older parents when this gets brought up by the daughter, for example, um, go into therapy together. Wow. And that's a, that's a really wonderful, that's a wonderful, wonderful, amazing opportunity. But if it doesn't, and we keep waiting, then we keep ourselves, you know, disempowered and, and feeling crappy. Yeah. And it comes full circle back to something that you mentioned earlier about community and asking for what you need. So, you know, again, the mentality of like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go it alone, or I have to go it alone. This is my responsibility Mm -hmm. is actually what's disempowering us. Because if we have a group of friends who we can talk to, who are going through the same thing that we can vent our frustrations Mm -hmm. without feeling guilty, because they get it. Mm -hmm. Or even like you said, um, talking to a therapist or, you know, talking to your siblings, like and asking for help. And I learned this one, like, just like last year, where, you know, Mm -hmm. when my dad was in hospital, and I was like, soldiering on, doing the thing, going to the hospital every day, twice a day. And then one day I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. And I picked up the phone and I called my brother who lives like four hours away. And I was like, you need to take some time off work and come and give me a break. And I, it took me so long to get to that place to ask for it. And as soon as I did, I was like, oh, okay. You know, but like I struggled like for weeks and weeks and weeks with, you know, burning myself, you know, at both ends of the candle before I actually reached out and asked for help. Now I am like the master delegator. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm like, wow, now I know what this looks like. I'm like, okay, I need help here. I need help here. Because fantastic. How did you get there? Like, how did you, you know, what kind of, what kind of light Shauna was it just, you just got to the point of it was exhaustion. (laughs) Well, I mean, it was exhaustion. And I think the clue for me was having come from experiencing severe 
mental, physical, and emotional burnout, like, you know, a few years prior to that, Mm -hmm. I could feel myself kind of sliding back to that place. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, being the soldier, putting the mask on, you know, not asking for help, doing the thing that I think I have to do. And I could feel myself sliding back there. And then I was like, oh, okay, sister, you have two choices here. You can keep doing that. And you know, the end result, because we've been there. Or you can open yourself up a little bit and ask for help. Yeah. And even, you know, having that realization, it still took me a couple of weeks, yeah. <laughs> you know, to, to actually summon up the courage to say, I can't do this alone. Yeah, exactly. And also this is in my life, this was the second time that this had happened because when my mom had passed away before my brother who, you know, wasn't around, it was all me again. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm not doing this alone this time. Like, mm-hmm. um, but it's like, you know, that mentality of not of feeling like we have to do this alone, that it's our duty as yeah. daughters. I'm like, Absolutely. okay, why don't the sons feel like it's their duty? <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Huh. But because we've been conditioned this way, mm-hmm. like we're giving or handing our power out all over the place and then wondering why we've got nothing left for ourselves. Absolutely. And we, and you know, it's so insidious that we don't even think, you know, we don't even think, okay, it's okay to ask my brother because, oh, like, I don't, I don't want to interfere. He's got a busy life. He's, you know, he's got kid, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's got yeah. a kid. So, yeah. <laughs> so we follow that indoctrination to the point where we say, you know, this is our value. Our value is to make sure that we're caring for yeah. everybody. And at all times, <laughs> that's the other thing. Yeah. It's not that the one ball can drop. It's that all the balls have to stay in the air all at the same time. Yeah. And, and I so, can take on more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you're really, you're really making me think that in the community of women and, you know, their daughters, their daughters-in-law, I've seen amazing situations where the daughters-in-law are the ones that come in and take care of an, an aging, their, their in-law grandchildren. I've seen, mm-hmm. you know, teenage uh, in their twenties, young women who are taking care of their grandparents. So yeah. it's kind of like, so generational in the sense that we're still dealing with that dynamic of, you know, the women are the ones who are the nurturers. That's a belief, you know, that's a belief in our culture that we are the nurturers and men are not. No, it's true. And there is like, you know, I just did a podcast episode. I think it's going to be the one before this one where we talk about like how deep this societal conditioning goes. It's been Mm -hmm. centuries and centuries and centuries Mm -hmm. that we are Mm -hmm. still carrying forward. And this is like, we are at a place right now, an inflection point where we can start to shift this narrative. I mean, it will still probably take many, many years and generations of people, but by us stepping into our power now, Mm -hmm. like, you know, through things like even the Me Too movement and all of that, like, you know, when midlife women's, you know, creating their kick-ass next chapters and all of that, we're actually... Every single one of us that does that shifts the paradigm a little mm-hmm. bit more. And so the bigger the collective of us taking back our power, mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the better the outcome will be for the future mm-hmm. generations. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting, what you were talking about, too, when I was saying I was a master delegator, you mm-hmm. know, again, when my father was in hospital, I didn't want to ask my daughter to like take a turn. Can you go, you know, and take grandpa some food or whatever. Right. And because I was like, oh, she's busy. She's got her own stuff going on. Mm-hmm. But in the end, I finally did. And I was like, okay, can you, first of all, she was honored to do it. She's like anything to help you out, mom. And then the mm-hmm. second part of that, which was a beautiful, unexpected gift is she developed 
a relationship with him out of that, that she uh-huh. probably wouldn't have had otherwise. And that relationship brings me so much joy uh-huh. to see those two together, to see them bonding, because yeah. she would sit and talk to him and they would have these conversations for, you know, hours and hours about things. And, right. you know, I was just like, wow. So had that not happened, like, so I yes. think there's so many, like, if we could just get out of our own way for long enough, sometimes mm-hmm. exactly. there are so many beautiful gifts on the other side of it, but you know, it takes us like <laughs> just, just stepping back for a minute and like, yeah. let the chips fall and see what happens. Yeah. And really saying, I need to do this. I need to, do this. Mm-hmm. you know, I think a lot of the support for caregivers which also becomes a bit of a problem because once you're a caregiver, are you still a mother? Are you still a wife? Are you still, you know, so we kind of get into that model and and lose sight of the others. But, you know, could we really just stop for a minute and not do the support or if you feel supported by this, that's great. But I think the support that's been given to women is, you know, go for a spa treatment, go for a run, take an hour off, you know, whatever. And these seem to be irrelevant in the world of holding up all those balls. Like how, yeah. women have said to me, I don't have time to go and have a massage. And even if I did, I'd be great for an hour. And then I come back, and I would be right back into it. Yeah. Well, it's so much bigger than something yeah. you can solve in an hour with a massage. Like it yeah. runs deep. Like, it again, can. like we were talking about, it's you know, years of societal conditioning, years of conditioning with your family, years of a, of a history, like you could have a 50 year, you know, history with your parent that's, that's aging, that was maybe good or not good. Right. Right. Like there's all of that, that does not get solved with going for a run or getting a massage. All lovely. Don't get me wrong. Exactly. Great. If you can do it. I think, and I think one of the most important things is to recognize that you need to do these things for you right? Like I'm going to delegate this because I'm not because I need to do it for my dad, but I need to do it for myself. Exactly. Right. And putting myself first in that, because again, it's the oxygen mask. It's, you know, you can't pour from the empty cup. Prioritizing ourselves in our list of to-dos and obligations is probably, again, the number one thing that we could do. Yeah. And we, we need our cheerleaders to do that. I think that's why, you know, the, the tribe of women who are doing this and doing it lovingly and caringly and because they're devoted, also feeling all kinds of, you know, raw emotion. It's really, really important to have your cheerleader, to have your support and, and somebody who, who doesn't just have a superficial response, but understands that, as you said, it's, it's deep. Yeah. Deep and meaningful and it's, an opportunity, like you said, like all kinds of things come out of it with other relationships that you never intended. And it's yeah. not selfish. It's not. It's we not. To, we need to erase that word or yeah, redefine yeah. it or something. Yeah, redefine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's actually, it's really, it's selfish in, in all the right ways. Yeah. So I think, you know, we, we need to, I feel in my practice and working with women need to keep supporting and encouraging women who are in the situation to allow themselves to be the feeling people that they are, regardless of what the feeling is. Mm. And to know that it's a signal, you know, that that kind of signal is saying, hmm, something is not right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm emotional about it. Yeah. And that's, that's my signal. That's a good thing. 
to really recognize that. And then to, you know, find community and find the tribe that are going to understand and validate, not just, you know, validate just for the sake of saying, I, you know, you're right, but validating for the sake of saying, it's a very shared experience. You're not alone. And there are specific strategies. That's what I work with. You know, I spend so much of my time, which, and I love it, just helping people understand that if they change their step, the dance changes. So they don't have to wait. They don't have to wait for somebody else to do it. They have a lot of power and, you know, their own idiosyncratic way of saying, you know, approaching that parent in a different way and changing Mm -hmm. that dance step and getting unhooked and seeing the engagement and how it's, you know, gone wrong for them certainly hasn't made them feel good. And so it ends up being kind of a fun, creative process. I like to really see how creative we can be and what steps can change. And if somebody says, I want this, then we can talk about, so how do you get it? Not if you should get it, but how do you get it? Right. So it ends up being a much more uplifting conversation, you know, at the end of the day. And then in, in actuality, people see changes in their relationships that are Kind of like I never ever thought that was possible. Yeah. Like with my mom. Yeah. Literally by changing yourself, you change the whole dynamic of a relationship. It's so powerful. Like I've seen this it in is. my own life for sure. It is. It so is. if they're like to sum this up, this has been an amazing conversation. So to sum this up, then if there's kind of, you know, somebody's listening and they're like, okay, I'm in this situation right now. I'm starting to reach the end of my rope. Kind of what are the three, like the top three things that you would pieces of advice that you would give to that person at that time? I think the first piece of advice I would offer is to find somebody to talk this through with. Right. The perspective can be much more workable for that woman than what, you know, how their perspective and their and their kind of situation right now. Again, whether that's a therapist, a coach, a community, uh in fact I'm really interested in creating a community so that people can, women can come out of the shadows. Yeah, fabulous idea. And uh, I'm thinking of calling it courage, my love, because I think, you know, this takes a lot of courage and you need to connect with people so that you can continue to be courageous. And the other thing I'd say is to really stop for a second and think about what the hook is. What do you think over all these years has really engaged you with this person that you're having difficulty Mm. with. So because that's something you can do in the privacy of your own mind, right? And heart. And, and I guess the third thing is to say, ask yourself, is this a person who is ever going to get into this conversation in an equitable and open way? Or do I think I've been trying to climb up the mountain and I'm alone? And so- I think once people, my grandmother used to say, you know what, Risa, you have to know with whom you're having the pleasure, <laughs> she'd say, as I, as I was picking partners, and, you know, and some weren't going so well. She'd say, you have to know who you're having the pleasure with, you know. So really look seriously at that person, your parent, let's say, and recognize whether or not you feel there is room for engagement in a good way. And if you don't feel that there is, then maybe start to get curious about 
how come like who are they where did they come from what are their what are the obstacles that they haven't been able to you know get rid of in their lives so that you know they created their persona for a reason just like we all do right you know we all figure it out how we're how we're going to walk through life and i think there's a generation of mothers who who didn't feel very good about their state in life and therefore became kind of more of the demanding and critical parent but you know to kind of just do a little bit of self self reflection yeah. on yourself and the other person and see where that takes you yeah yeah and you know as you're talking i'm thinking that like journaling at least for me and anybody who's listened to this podcast knows that i am mm-hmm. a huge proponent of journaling but starting to just write some of this stuff down can just open doors for you. Like, like you would never allow yourself to go there maybe in your head, or maybe you just wouldn't get there. But as you start to put it on paper, stuff starts to flow out. And there's so much understanding and perspective shift that can happen when you see the words actually out of your head. Yeah. Like giving it a place to live. And I always say this to my clients, you know, giving those things a place to live that's not outside your health, your head can help you see things in a whole different way. Because we all know when we're spinning something in our head, it just keeps getting larger and larger and larger and more unwieldy. So when you take it out of your head, you put it on paper, you actually give space now for your brain to be able to see in a different perspective and maybe change some, some of the thoughts or the dynamics or whatever. That's great. And you know what, then uh, being courageous to share it somehow. And then sharing it, like having that friend or that community. And it's so interesting because (laughs) almost every podcast episode I do, so related to, you know, things that are being faced by midlife women, it all comes back to community and how we have to band together to lift each other up in all things, you know, like, I think we live in a society that kind of pits women against each other Mm -hmm. for like our entire lives, like comparing bodies, faces, whatever, you know, and then when we reach this portion of our lives, it's like, this is the time now where we have to come together. Like we cannot yeah. go it alone. We cannot be in competition Yeah. because, you know, like we're raising each other up and by raising each other up, we're giving permission for other people, like for ourselves and for everybody else yeah. to be lifted with us. I think the time has come actually for, because, you know, being a therapist, I really respect people's privacy. Mm-hmm. And so I, I often think, well, you know, people wouldn't, these women wouldn't want to talk to other women. They wouldn't, they wouldn't want to reveal themselves. Yeah. yeah. But I think the time has come for us to really see each other as companions. Yeah. You know, that, sure. that we're not competitive. We're not, we, there's nothing to win here. There's only to gain out of being connected yeah. to like-minded people who you know, who really want it. to care and get it yeah, and, and talk about, you know, what they've done that's helped them. So there's yeah. a lot of power in that. I agree. I think, I think it really is a great remedy and get women out of the shadows. Yeah. Yeah. Get us talking about our stuff. Get us talking about it. Yeah. 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 For and sure. Also, I guess the one other thing I'd say, Jennifer, is, you know, you may, women may, I, I certainly did hit a moment of, of emotional, you know, kind of release. I had a dream and I just cried and cried and cried and cried and cried. And that's a fantastic moment. Oh yeah. That's a fantastic moment when you can finally say, this is so hard and I feel so many emotions about it and I feel sad and I feel, you know, lonely or whatever. And that's also a turning point. 
Oh, huge. I mean, I had one of those a few years back where I'd never been into yoga before or meditation. Um, and mm-hmm. I knew this, there was this meditation class happening at my, my local yoga studio. And for some reason I was like super compelled to go. In fact, I was on a business trip and I cut my business trip short to come back wow. to make this class. I was like, so like I had to take a standby flight to get home. Yeah. And, but I was just, I didn't know why I was just so compelled to go to this class. So I went into this class. It was a guided meditation, but 10 minutes into the meditation, I start to cry. I can't mm-hmm. stop crying. I literally cannot stop crying. There's like six of us in this room and I am like blubbering like a baby, <laughs> like, and right. then at the end of the class, <laughs> you know, like I'm walking out with this pot, like the teacher slides me over like this box of Kleenex and I'm walking out with this like mountain of snotty oh. Kleenex and tears <laughs> running down my face. And then as the end of it, she says, okay, um, so we're going to be doing this for eight more weeks. Like you can sign up here before I knew what I was doing. I signed up right <laughs> every week for eight weeks. I went to that class and I cried for 90 oh, minutes. My. No idea why I was crying. Like uh-huh. parts of me were going, okay, you are seriously losing it. Like you are cracking up. <laughs> yeah. And in the end, it turned out to be like, again, like we were talking about this well, right. That we try to keep the lid on. It was like, it got to the point where the well was bubbling up and no matter what happened, it was going to come out, but it was the best thing ever because after eight weeks of crying for 90 minutes, mm-hmm. which was really the only time I, really let myself like really cry like that. And I couldn't control it. Like I literally couldn't, no matter how hard I tried, I could not control it. Like it was just so probably about week four. I'm like, okay, here we go. (laughs) And the the teacher never said a word. She would just nod at me. She would come, she would put the Kleenex box right, right by my spot every week. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Said a word, but she would just nod and smile as I walked out of the class and she'd be like, pat me on the back. Okay. And that's we amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. That's like the watershed moment, literally. <laughs> that literally was. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And you know, the interesting thing you say, the teacher never said anything. I think that's so critical is that, you know, when you talk about your emotions, you don't want to be challenged. You don't want to be corrected. You know, no. she just let you be in the experience. And I think that's also so powerful. Yeah. Because, you know, you're in your experience and who knows where that's going to take you. So we just let you supported you and there you were. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the beginning of so much healing for me. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like it's like the, what's the expression It's like trying to hold a beach ball underwater. Like it's going to pop up at some point and it takes an immense amount of energy to keep that ball down. Yeah. Right. But it's coming up. It didn't. And it wasn't because either your mother, your father, whoever saw the light. Right. This is completely a Jennifer experience. This was my body saying we can't do this anymore. And I mean, this was at, you know, in the middle of my, you know, well, not kind of at the beginning. Well, I guess in the middle of like my real burnout. Right. Like, so this was my body basically saying, we're not doing this anymore. We can't hold this. Like you got to let some stuff go, but I didn't even know what I was letting go. I mean, since then I've understood it, but right. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's an amazing experience. Yeah. And it was, it was an amazing experience. And I'm so thankful she didn't ask me why I was crying because I had no idea. (laughs) Right. Right. And and that wasn't required. You just had to be in the, in the emotion. And this, and it comes, this comes back to something that you said earlier about just giving ourselves permission. Like, you know, like I said, it took me five weeks of classes to get, actually give myself permission to be like, okay, this is what it is. I'm just going to go with it and see what happens. Yeah. But yeah. I fought yeah. it for a long time. Right. Mm-hmm. And just giving ourselves permission to feel those feelings to, mm-hmm. you know, ex- you know, accept the emotions that are coming up, you know, and to not judge ourselves uh, for it is so, so important. Um, 
Because again, all we can not, control is ourselves. And to not let anybody else judge us for it. Yeah. You know, I think I think we, we often talk about more empathy. And the definition of empathy is, you know, really listening and understanding. But I add something to the definition of empathy, which is also believing. Mm. So if you're if you're saying something, I I need to believe that that's really your experience. I I don't need to change it. I don't need to. Yeah. And and that's so big in conflict resolution in the sense that, you know, when two people are coming together to resolve a particular issue, you know, we're all in this blame mode. Well, you yeah, did yeah. this to me, you did that to me, blah, blah. And, and I'm I'm more hurt than you are. And, and you know, it's, it's these are real genuine sentiments. But when you're in a process where somebody says, that was your experience, I didn't know that. That yeah. that's really, that really makes a difference to me. You know, I just, I thought it was this, but you're telling me it was that. Yeah. And I'm going to accept that. Yeah. Then, then so that true. makes you feel so acknowledged. Yeah. So which true. Is, which is great. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. Where can people find you um, if they want to find more about what you do or just, uh, you know, to contact you for anything? Sure. Where can they find sure. you? I think the best thing is the website and, okay. and you're going to have that. I'll put that in the show notes. In the show note, but it's Risa, R-E-S-A, at marathon mm-hmm. mediation okay. dot C-A. Dot C-A. And okay. people have said to me, you know, marathon has a bit of a negative connotation, but in my mind, it was always about going the distance. Oh, resolving the conflict to go the distance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's beautiful. Going the distance. So, yeah, it's it is a marathon. Life is a marathon, but uh, you know, yeah. we can have we can have people along the run with us. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for spending this time with me today. Uh, it's been a great conversation. Um, anybody who's listening, if you are in the process of, or just starting the process of, you know, caring for an aging parent. Um, I hope you found this helpful. Please feel free to reach out to Risa or myself. Um, and uh, with your questions or your comments, would love to know how this, um, how this episode lands. So Me until too. next time, thank you. Thanks, Jennifer. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in.